Today we have a listener feedback episode. We've gotten a few questions from people. A couple people have sent in some questions to paperdragonspodcast at gmail.com. And then we've also had questions from other people that we've talked to in our own lives and said, hey, we're doing this podcast. And we get a lot of questions that are kind of the same questions that we've heard from uh, multiple people. So we thought we would go ahead and answer a few of those and just give you an idea of what's going on over here at Paper Dragon Central because we haven't had a chance to kick out an episode very recently. Although this is uh, January 1st that we're recording this one. Hopefully I'm going to have this one out uh, this evening. And I may actually have a full podcast episode out later today as well. So you guys may get two at the same time here, which would be a great thing. Unfortunately, the only people that could be on the show today is myself and John, who plays Aunt Fia. Hey, Happy New Year, everybody. Hope you've had an awesome holiday season. First question everyone has asked is kind of what's happened with Paper Dragons. Why haven't we seen any new episodes out recently? For those of you who don't know a whole lot about podcasting, there's uh, a lot involved in editing, especially when you have multiple tracks, stuff like that. Um, and when you don't have an editor on staff to take care of it, there it's very labor-intensive to get a single episode out. And this got to the point for me, since I am the editor for Paper Dragons, uh, it got to a point where I needed to step back from it for a short amount of time because it was getting to be too much between um, the technical and audio issues I was having with a couple other recordings and uh, normal life kicking in at the same time. It uh, kind of was stressing me out a little bit more than what I was wanting. We do have more episodes that have been recorded already. They will be coming out. Now, one uh, positive thing that's happened since you guys have heard from us is we have actually upgraded our recording setup so that everything is being sent through a mixer app called Voice Meter. And it's going to cut everything down to a single track so that uh, whenever we go through to edit it, it'll be a little bit more straightforward. One of the problems we were having is uh, a latency issue where the multiple tracks weren't all lining up together. They'd be the same for a while. And then after about five minutes, John would be going off and, you know... Uh, uh, Tim's mic would be going somewhere else and my mic would be going somewhere else. So it it became this whole problem of getting all the tracks to line out. You can't just put them in together and 
uh, have everything work. So that's a lot more information than most of you guys ever wanted to know about podcasting, I'm sure. But because of those problems, it became a lot of work to get every single episode out. So with the new setup, it's all going to be one track, and it hopefully is going to be a better sound quality as well, because I can adjust things while we're on the fly a little bit better. Hopefully we can keep everyone at a um, better level. That way we don't have the higher, louder voices and then some really low that you can't hardly hear. These are the kind of things that we're attempting to attempting to eliminate to give you guys a little better sound quality uh, wherever you come to listen to Paper Dragons. <laughs> uh, so, John, what uh, questions have you been asked? Well, you know, when we talked about doing this, it occurred to me I've got a really good friend of mine known him for quite a few years, and he's not a gamer in any way, shape, or form, but because I am, he's asked me some questions through time about the game. He's, he's kind of fascinated by the fact that somebody is into this. He just, not on his radar, not in his wheelhouse, so he's asked some pretty good questions from a standpoint of I know very little of, of the game other than that it exists. So I've gotten that from a few people as well. Uh, I've heard of this Dungeons and Dragons thing. What are you talking about now? <clears throat> um, so and, and Mark is uh, he's kind of a competitive guy when he participates in something he likes to uh, he likes her to be a winner and a loser. And it is called a role-playing game. So, to his mind, there should be a, a way to determine who wins. And he's actually asked me that, you know. He says, uh, you know, how do you determine who wins the game? And that kind of set me back and made me think. Because that's kind of outside uh, what we as players would think about and, and it was like after some thought I says you know I guess you could look at it as it's kind of similar to life the the way you determine who you know your whole object and goal in life is you know kind of have an impact on the world around you and to retire rich and happy mm-hmm. <laughs> pardon me and I says, you know, that that's kind of, at least for me, what my goal is when I develop a character at the beginning of a campaign and, you know, I start off at first level and I'm going to invest all this time, is that I want to develop that character and grow them to the point that they get so far up there and so advanced that no DM in his right mind would let me play this character in a new campaign. And he's he or she is fat, happy, and ready to retire. You know, that's when you kind of like, you know, okay, you've had a great life. Now it's, it's time to develop a new character and do the same thing. Uh, and I've gotten that same question a couple of times as well. Who wins? 
when's the game over is another big question that kind of ties into the same thing. Kind of what's the end game thing. And it's like, well, this is more like a book series or a TV series. It's, it's not a, uh, it's not a movie where you've got a beginning, middle and end necessarily. It's usually more like, um, something where it's installments of these people's lives and it's not just um, go to this point, win this thing, and you're done. You've won the game. It's actually, uh, you'll have multiple major events in your life. Kind of like you do in real life anyways. You don't just have one thing. If you're going towards something in life, once you get there, it's not just game over. Okay, everything else is done and it's uh, kittens and rainbows for the rest of your life. No, it's okay. That's cool. You've done this thing. Now you improve that thing or you move on to the next thing that is getting your attention or whatever it is, right? And that's kind of what the role-playing games are all about. Unlike a game of uh, chess... You don't just go and win one thing. There's going to be multiple things that you have to go and do and win or, uh, and not even, it's not all even about fighting or anything like that. There's a lot of social aspect to role-playing games that I really like. I feel like we do a pretty fair job of uh, bringing that, um, social side into our game we haven't ran into a whole lot of npcs so far but uh interpersonally we've definitely ran into some different things that need to be discussed out and uh <clears throat> different events that happen and we realize that people are um more or different than what they originally appear just in life you know most people are not a one-dimensional or two-dimensional character they're actually there's a lot more going on you know so i just feel like that's one of the aspects is i that i like is this is an ongoing story and it's not just quite so cut and dried of oh well we're gonna play for four hours the game will be over then we'll do something else tomorrow you know true true and you know one of the things that i have really liked about what we're doing here with paper dragons is uh, it's, I, I think it's especially beneficial for folks who are just now develop, developing an interest in RPG or want to find out kind of how it works is that none of us have played together before, you know, and we are at, all different levels of experience from newbies to, to old school, to old AD and D gamers. Uh, yep. Yes. I've dated myself badly, but the gray will tell anyway, uh, if they could well, see I it. I think when and, the first, uh, version of D and D that I, uh, remember playing, I think was AD and D. I think that's where I started out. Granted, I didn't play very much, but you know, I started out back there. I remember Thacko. You know. Yes, the the Thacko is the be all and the end all, uh, but you know, 
so there are not, uh, you know, folks that get involved with the podcast and in, in listening are going to hear not only the characters themselves develop through the course of the campaign. They are also going to be able to hear and observe how the players themselves develop and progress as they gain experience in the game and learn how to form a cohesive party. Uh, because that's one thing I really like that you have done with this campaign, which doesn't often happen. Usually when you start a campaign, it's like, you know, an elf, four humans and a dwarf walk into a bar. Um, <laughs> so you, you, you spend the next nine months involved in a campaign waiting for the punchline to the beginning of that joke. But, here you've taken what are basically two separate parties of two people and had them meet and meld together in the process of each trying to fulfill their own agenda. So that adds kind of a realistic uh, portion to the campaign. Can these two folks with different goals or these four people to, you know, two pair with different goals, figure out how to work together and achieve their own goals. So I, I think that adds a really, uh, a really challenging aspect in terms of playing the role. Because you, we all know we're supposed to be a team. So you have yeah. to be able to, you know, we know that as players, but as characters, there's got, there's that separation, you know, okay. And our, Willow and I are on this, have this particular mission on this particular goal. Well, we just met these two guys. So we're not quite sure if they're going to mesh up with what our law, with what our current midterm goal is. So I, I have found that I've got to take that into account. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think that adds to the challenge of actually doing role play, playing it as the character and not as myself. Well, and that's what I like about that also is it's a challenge for me to try to create different people for each of the NPCs, which you guys haven't bumped into too many so far, but it's, I want a different personality for each of the main NPCs that you come across. So it's not just me talking like this and, oh, this is what this person says. And it's like, you know, I actually want to try and role play those the best I can but also being a relatively new DM as far as anything ongoing, I also have to get um, more adept at kind of rolling with what happened. You guys have caught me off guard a couple of times and it's like, okay, well, here we go. We're going to play this <laughs> out, see where it goes. And sometimes I feel like it really works well and other times I feel like, okay, I'm really not good at this part of it. It you know, <laughs> kind of depends on what it is, but uh, uh, we have a, yeah. we've had a couple of situations where I 
almost want to take us back to that and say, let's re-edit that or let's uh, replay that and see how this goes again. But much like Uh, you guys don't get to say, hey, let's let's re-roll this because, hey, I rolled a one rather than a nat 20. You know, I don't get to roll back time and say, oh, no, I'm the DM, so we're going to replay this. No, it doesn't work that way. No, and, and I agree. I mean, you know, hey, there there should not be a reset button. Not if you're being honest in your play. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were, <clears throat> I've done a little DMing through the years, and, you know, there are times I really wish I could hit that reset button because the party did something that I had in no way, shape or form planned on. And, you know, that's happened to every DM out there, uh, you know, who's ever played the game. Uh, Well, I know uh, we're not in what the uh, listeners have heard. Um, So we're not going to go into any specifics on this one, but, uh, the most recent game that we played and recorded, um, there's an entire section of it that actually was not planned at all. I had no plan for you guys to do what you did. And I just said, you know what? Yeah, let's go with it. Yeah, and- you uh, did something good. You got a good role on it. And you found this thing that wasn't expected by me. And all of a sudden... Here's this whole new world that uh, I, as the DM, didn't even uh, plan to have in there. And I just kind of rolled with it. And I feel like it uh, developed really well. And it gave me a couple of uh, chances to do some things I've been needing to do anyway. So it's like, okay, I can just toss this right in and you guys got it, you know? You've done a pretty good job of you know, running off the cuff and flying by the seat of your pants when you've had to. Um, And that, uh, you know, I've always found that to be one of the challenges when I've sat in that DM chair. You know, myself personally, I prefer to be a player. Uh, I think it's a little more fun. Uh, But being a DM can have its own rewards. Well, one thing that I want to have happen is the main uh, storyline for Paper Dragons in each of the seasons, I'm going to go ahead and DM. Uh, That's the plan right now. But in the off season, uh, when we're in between major story arcs, that kind of thing, I want to go ahead and have um, Tim run one of them, and then eventually I want you to run one of them. And I would love to get Casey to run one of them eventually as well. Uh, Alan, Alan's a great storyteller. I think he'd do good. Um, But having Casey tell uh, a story, I think, no, it'd probably be like a one-shot or a, a shorter thing, but... She is actually a really good storyteller. She develops these stories for um, our spiritual group that retell some of the ancient stories in unique and different ways that 
are pretty impressive. And we're actually looking at um, developing those into a children's book because she does a really good job writing these stories out. So I'd love to hear her uh, do the DM portion of it. That's going to be a long time out, I'm pretty sure, before that happens. But And she'll probably she... kill me wherever she actually listens to this and... I guess this will be a good way to find out if all my players are listening to the show, you know? Um, might also be a good way to find out how comfortable it is to sleep on that couch of yours. Um, well, you know, that's okay. No, it's... And I don't think... Uh, it, it actually wouldn't be that level because she may be going, no, I'm not doing that, but... At the same time, she knows that I really appreciate the stories that she's come up with, you know. She's already got like four or five of them, I think, that every time she comes up with a new one, everyone is just on the edge of their seat going, wow, this is awesome, you know. So it's I, pretty cool. I think she just needs to develop. I, I think she'd be very good at doing it. I agree. I think she just needs to develop that confidence level to step into that role. Oh, definitely. And, uh, you know, she, Casey's our, our newest player to the game, uh, a novice. And I think she's done a very good job of starting to figure out the mechanics of the game, as well as becoming more comfortable with role play. She's kind of stepping forward much more often, uh, which is great. Yeah, Definitely. You know, she, she's starting to get that comfort that comfort level and, and starting to figure things out. Uh, and I think she's coming along very well. Yeah, she's so. done a really good job for never having played it. Uh, she's getting more familiar with the character. Now, granted, we haven't had a huge amount of, like, combat or anything like that. But um, we've had a couple of them, and it... Uh, She's getting more familiar with that aspect, but then, yeah, just the normal role play kind of thing. And uh, I think being more willing to step up and say, hey, I want to try something different, you know, can I try this? How would I do this? And it's just about trying to find um, how to work through those kind of things, you know, uh, whatever the situation is. Yeah, and, you know, I'm for myself when it comes to, to fourth edition rules, this is my first campaign in fourth edition. You, you all have dragged me kicking and screaming, uh, into it. So I've been thinking about down the line when it's, uh, where I'm going to step into that DM chair of maybe dragging you all kicking and screaming back into second edition. Uh, just uh, just to see how you guys adjust to the game. Uh, and plus, I there's one I I played in as a as a PC years ago that I found to be a really challenging campaign. That's why I think when when I do have that opportunity to DM, it should probably be down the line. Uh, because it's was such a challenging campaign, and it uh, 
I want folks to be more prepared for it because it does have a tendency to kill off PCs. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there was definitely a, um, a more severe bent to a lot of the older games. It was the survivability of a given campaign was a lot lower which is fine if you know that that's what you're going into. Basically, don't get emotionally attached to your character because you're not going to be playing them very long. But there is something to be said also for ongoing characters, more like we, what we have now, um, where it's this character may be with you for years, you know, if you do everything you should and if you get lucky enough not to have... Uh, an unfortunate roll of the dice that goes against you. But I mean, in the older games, yeah, I know that there were uh, some of them that were designed very specifically to have like a 80 or 90% kill rate for players. And it was like, you almost never made it out of them. And true on all, on all points. <laughs> I mean, when you, it is only fair for the DM when they're going to run that type of campaign and use that type of module is to warn the player characters. Okay. I'm going to give you a choice. You can bring in an existing character for another campaign, or you can develop one specifically for this one because, you know, this one that I'm planning would be very challenging. You know, we're looking at an 80% chance of you losing that character. Mm-hmm and give that PC the opportunity to decide if they want to lose an old friend or attempt to make a new one. Uh. Yep, definitely. So out of curiosity, what's the longest campaign that uh, you were a part of? I think it have been in terms of character because most of us, uh, the group I was involved with the longest, which was uh, back in Ohio, a bunch of friends and I in the, in the early 80s, uh, we tended to, the, the campaigns we went through were basically connected through our characters. They just kind of drifted from one campaign to the next to the next. Uh, and we... You know, a character till it died and you know start a new one if need be uh so it really was i mean and this was i played with that group from 80 82 to 90 uh, and the longest i i think i lost i was on my second character with that arc and that character that I left the group with, I had had for six years. That's pretty good. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there were others. We played in other campaigns with other people. So I had, you know, several characters I was running at one time based on who was DMing and, and where I was playing. Uh, and, you know, one of those was, I think, five years. Uh, but two completely different 
character classes. The five-year character was all magic, uh, multi, multi-class, and then the six-year character uh, started out. And it's, it's a fine illustration, one of those that you were talking about, where the party catches the DM looking the other way. Uh, the character started out as a ranger, <coughs> excuse me, and had made it up to uh, fifth level. We had a player character in the group who had this nasty habit of gathering up magic items before anyone else had the opportunity to make a claim. Slightly offended the DM. He thought that was kind of outside of fair team role play, or, you know, fair team play. So he set a little trap for this guy who happened to be a thief. And unfortunately, I'm the one who sprung it. But the trap was set up. To where if you did it, if you did everything the right way in the right order, you get through it okay. And if you did it wrong, you were going to be a hurting unit. And I actually got it right. Um, it was a gauntlet, a helmet, and a sword. And I looked at him, and yeah, you know, it's like, well, okay. I put on the gauntlets on, and then I pick up the helmet and put it on, and the DM just gets this shocked, abhorrent look on his face, shakes his head, and he says, "You feel very, very good right now, very good." I'm like, okay, and I picked up the sword and drew it. At which point, he goes completely bonkers. Turns out the helm was a uh, helm of alignment change. Changed me from neutral good to lawful good. Uh, and the sword was a plus five holy avenger. They had you picked it up not being lawful good. It would have wrecked your world. DM was unprepared for any of this. He was hoping the thief would run in, grab the sword, draw it, and get zapped. So now he's completely unprepared of what to do. Uh, fortunately, he's like, you know, okay, got to stop the game. I got to deal with this. We'll pick this up next week. Comes back in because I did everything, you know, and he explained it to me. He's like, you know, I, I've got to figure this out because not ex what I expected. Mm -hmm. Totally 90 degrees. So then he comes back. And because it's a holy avenger it's connected to a deity, the deity gives me a choice. You can become my paladin, at which point you go into training and you start at the bottom and you work your way up. You know, we're talking, which, so I get the idea that he doesn't want me to do that. <laughs> okay. Because it is a challenge. I'd be basically a first-level power and playing with a bunch of fifth-level characters. Granted, with a really nice sword. However, that's about all I got. Mm -hmm. And he says, you know, and I said, well, what about me being, you know, a ranger? And I said, well, the agreement was once you reach the equivalent in power as a paladin you can start using your ranger abilities again. So I took the whole thing as a massive challenge and accepted. Nice. Only multi-class paladin I've ever seen or heard of, and it all happened because the somebody in the party did something the DM wasn't expecting. 
And when I wound up, when I left the group, moved out here and retired the character, he was a 12th level power and 10th level ranger. And a couple of DMs that I hooked up with in Portland took one look at the character sheets and said, you're not playing him. <laughs> I did very, very well with him. Uh, was very happy with the outcome of that character. Well, that's good. It sounds like he had a unique story arc that you're not going to hear every day, you know? And, you know, very true. <laughs> so what other uh, questions did Mark give you? Um, he asked me how you develop a character. And not so much in, you know, the mechanics, what do I do with my scores, blah, 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 and how do I generate scores, because he doesn't know any of that. Right. But he was at the, you know, his question was from the angle of how do I decide what my character's personality is going to be? And, you know, do I want to decide that my character's personality is me? Uh, and I, you know, I told him, I said, when you're first starting out, it's probably a good idea to play a character who's who you, whose personality is similar to yours, because it helps, I think it helps you more develop that role play ability. Mm-hmm. But I said, as you progress, I think, you know, and to me, the whole thing about any kind of game is development and improvement, being able to do it to be challenged by it. Okay. So to me, the challenge in that aspect of like character personality and character development is to play a character that is, whose personality is different from mine in certain degrees and in certain ways. Uh, so, uh, you know, like playing a lawful good character can be challenging to someone who's got a little bit of a chaotic streak to them. You just have to learn how to, I, I mean, there are times where, yeah, I, I could pull some great gags or make some, some, you know, cutting comments to people that would be out of character for that alignment. Right. Um, and, and he kind of, and, and you also, in terms of development, you know, you, you've got to look at what profession is my character. And uh, that helps also drive part of the aspects of your personality. Uh, you can go as, as deep as developing a very in-depth backstory for that character to help you develop it. I just, I kind of like, I've never been really into doing the deep, deep backstory. I think there are advantages advantages in that, especially in in fourth edition play, because the abilities you have and you start out with uh, are driven a lot by your backstory. And not quite so much in... in, uh, 
second edition and advanced. What what would you tell Mark for that question? You know, that's an interesting thing for me because I've actually played more as a DM than an actual character. I actually don't remember the last time I had someone else DMing to where I could develop a character and not have it be me as the DM also being a character. But, um, one of the things for me is I'll take, um, I'll generally take a character that I really like from books, movies, TV, something like that, and I'll find a aspect of their personality that I really like. Now, I'm not going to make Indiana Jones, right? I'm not going to make... Uh, um, Luke Skywalker? Yeah, Luke Skywalker or Conan. But I am going to take the aspect that I really like about them and try and develop a character that is its own unique person but they envelop that same kind of attitude and they may not have everything quite the same and they shouldn't. I feel like it should be an individual thing, but um, one kind of inside thing that I don't know if anyone's picked up on and actually we can't go into detail on it because this episode hasn't come out yet, but one of the NPCs that you guys uh, have come across is based very uh, blatantly stolen from a, another character. That was, I went strictly for, this is the character that I want to have in my, uh, in my game. Normally, I don't do that, but this is also an NPC. It's someone who, um, it's uh, an NPC who is going to be doing their own thing, right? And so it's, yeah, it's a stolen concept. It's a stolen character type, but it's... When you start talking about developing a player character, I feel like doing that blatant stealing is, um, it's not effective because you already have that character built. You already have that person, you go, okay, I just say what Luke Skywalker would say or whoever, right? And right. you have a lot of reference for that. In this case... Um, where we're trying to develop our own character. We don't want that because we actually want to be able to do our own... Uh, want to have to think on our own and actually come up with ideas on our own based on a unique concept that may or may not exist anywhere else out there. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's an interesting thing where we have to really develop something from the ground up and unfortunately, being the DM as much as I have been, I haven't had a chance to really get in and uh, 
try and develop my own uh, player characters as much. I have a couple of them that I've used in uh, one previous campaign. It was the one that Casey and I did together. But again, it was me playing two characters, her playing two characters, and we go do this thing, you know? So it's like, and that's actually another question that I get is, um, can you play D&D with just one other person? Yes. And the answer is, yes, you can. And you can do it a couple different ways. You can play it as you're the DM, they play a character, or maybe two characters, and you go from there, or... Like I've done every time that I've had this situation happen, I'm playing one or two characters, they're playing one or two characters, and we're, I'm really having to shut off the DM side of my brain when uh, we're in combat or when we're trying to solve a puzzle or whatever it is. And uh-huh. sometimes I've been more effective than others, you know, but... Um, it's just one of those things where um, it can be done. And just because you don't have a lot of people around who play doesn't mean that you can't go out there and play D&D. And by the way, one thing that I've noticed, and I've noticed this recently, more people play D&D around you than what you think. Yeah. I if you don't bring that it out, up, they don't mention it. And they don't mention it to you because they think, well... I don't want to be seen as the nerd, right? Well, I hold my nerd flag very high and I'm proud of it. And hence me starting a D&D podcast, right? I mean, that's about as nerdy as you're going to get. But um, Pretty up there. I've noticed that a lot more people in my world have either do play or have played D&D than what I ever would have thought. Um, right there with you, Um uh... As our listeners might have gleaned through comments of the last of our podcasts, I, I work for Ninkasi Brewing. Uh, and I noticed that at work as well. I made the comment uh, in the tasting room when I first started working there about, I think we had a podcast scheduled. And the lady at the tasting room asked me if I was going to be there on Friday. I says, no, um, I've got a D&D game. At which point she's like, oh, you're going to fit in perfect here. <laughs> you you got to hear this. So she tells me that a couple of years ago, before I started working for the company, they actually had uh, an IPA on the market called Critical Hit with wizards on the box and the whole nine yards. Uh, one of the owners of the company actually has a 20 sided guy tattooed on his shoulder and about half of the administrative staff there plays D and D. So I'm like, yes, I will fit in wonderful here, but I would have never suspected it. Had I not made that comment. Right. You know, I probably wouldn't have any clue. Uh, and to step back for a moment, you were talking about how, the uh, it can be a challenge to step from back and forth between DM and NPC, uh, and I agree. 
you it's you got to keep track of that track of separate you know that area of separation between the two and you got to kind of learn to not root for your npc <laughs> especially when they're at odds with the party uh and also you mentioned yeah you can play D with you know two people uh i've actually on a road trip from ohio to florida with my dm uh played D&D between the two of us with no dice, no books, uh, a campaign he came up with off the top of his head as he's driving. Uh, he's like, okay, you're you, because he's familiar with me personally, physically, you know, what I can and can't do, a lot of what I know and don't know. And the way we roll dice was you had a, I would tell him an action, he would pick a number, and then he'd have me pick a number between 1 and 12. That was the outcome of the dice. And actually, it worked out pretty well. Uh, it amused us for, you know, 20 hours on the flipping road. Um, and I thought it was something really novel. I, had, you know, I, I haven't done that before or since. You know, one of the things that I believe it was Gary Gygax said was um, the one of the biggest secrets about Dungeons and Dragons is you don't need any books, you don't need the rules, you don't need any of that stuff because it's all a story that you're telling and it's all coming out of your head. And so it basically boils down to the rule of cool, right? Whatever is works in your environment at that moment, whether it goes by the book or against the book, in that universe, that's what happened in that moment. Now, there's something to be said for following the books and being very rule-oriented and that kind of thing, but there's something also to be said for you can just make it up. Because guess what? Most of... Well, everything that uh, Paper Dragons has done has been made up out of my head. And it's also, here's a, another little inside story about uh, Paper Dragons. There's a, there's a portion of Paper Dragons that have been sitting in my head for, uh, let's see, since, I want to say 90 91, something like that. That's been percolating a long time. A little bit, right? And this is because yeah. uh, back when I was in high school, I really got into the James Bond series, right? I start reading the books. Uh, I didn't care for the movies as much as I liked the books. The books were fun. They were fast-paced, and they, um, they were enjoyable. Books are always better. And, yeah, they are. Um, for reference, see Lord of the Rings. Anyway, please continue. <laughs> now that I have pissed off a major portion of the population. No, oh. it, it, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, the other half of the population totally agrees with you. So, you know. But uh, in one of the books, I don't remember which one. Uh, I remember nothing about the book other than one scene. 
And the scene is they're going up to this this beat up looking house. Okay. And the bad guys are coming up to this house and uh Bond is inside and he's I think he was protecting someone inside and the house basically looked like a strong wind was going to blow it over. And when they get up there, they decide to try and uh, shoot the door, the lock off the door and basically do a hard entry into the house. Just boom, blow it and go in because the wood on the door looks like it's super flimsy. And what they don't realize is that that the whole house has been very specifically designed to look like a house that's going to fall apart when in fact it's a safe house and it's reinforced steel and all of this stuff. So they end up killing themselves with a shotgun blast because the, the uh, ricochet comes back and takes them out rather than um, opening a door, right? Mm-hmm. They actually did that scene in Skyfall. Okay. In the movie. <clears throat> But it sounds like, you know, if you read this years ago, then it's they probably lifted that scene from that book for the movie. Yep. Because the shotgun blast thing was different. It was a, a booby trap M made. But the whole dilapidated house, him protecting somebody, yeah, right there. Yep. And I could be wrong on the exact details of that, but that's what I remember from it. And the thing is, whenever I read that, I was going, oh, that's a cool scene. I love this. This is something I'm going to use. And you did. And Well, and the thing is, I remember thinking, this is something I'm going to use in something. i got to remember that because that's really cool. I like that scene. I like that dilapidated house. The surprise of, oh, this isn't what I expected. And I've been thinking on this for 90, what, 20 years now, I guess. More than that, uh, 30. Close to 30. 30 years. So this has been percolating around my brain for pretty close to 30 years. It's just something that I picked up somewhere way, way back. And because I read that book, it was something that got into my brain. And it's like, when can I use that? And whenever I started developing uh, the storyline for... Um, the Jewel of Micah, which is the current season. I was like, oh, I've got the perfect opportunity to get this out of my brain and move on to something else. But it was something that felt like it was really going to fit when um, they come up to the farmhouse. It was a good way of showing that, hey, this farmhouse isn't exactly what it seems. And this whole world... Um, around Sam isn't exactly what it seems, right? Mm -hmm. So that kind of goes, actually, we go from character development into story development there a little bit, but um, that's kind of that uh, way my brain works is I'll remember little pieces of something. And so there's a lot of things like that within the storyline that are little tiny pieces of something else that I thought, oh, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. I hear something here or there, and I take these ideas and I develop them into my own unique story. And um, I don't do the direct stealing a storyline from anything else because I feel like that's 
let's kind of cheat against a DM. Now, the one character that, yes, I did uh, totally lift, and it's a public domain character who I was looking at and decided, you know what? I need this character in my story for nothing more than it's an awesome character to have show up, and his storyline is not going to be the same as his uh, original storyline by any means, because, you know, the whole story would have to take a left-hand turn for that. But I definitely wanted um, some intrigue in that to kind of show that there's more going on in the world than just these four people, right? This isn't the entire world. Mm -hmm. Other things are happening all around. And there's actually another... um, another group of people that eventually you guys will get to meet who are also out and about within this world. Well, there's more people out there doing things, cool things and trying to solve problems than just are for, uh, for adventures. Well, no, and there should be. Um, that's one of the, uh, one of the benefits of having a, uh, an NPC rich environment in your game because it does give the party itself the opportunity to see that bigger world through NPCs coming in and out. And one of the things, you know, a DM can't get too terribly attached to an NPC because a lot of them are, you know, one or two encounters in their they're throwaways. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're people that the party meets going through their storyline. So rather than spend a lot of time to develop uh, this big, deep backstory that's going to explain a person that I'm only going to wind up using for maybe 10 to 20 hours and be done with. Uh, to kind of speed things along, I would observe people around me, out and about in public, at work, what have you, and based on them, I I would base an NPC's personality on them, Mm -hmm. which helps flesh out the NPC just a bit with out a lot of deep development background on my part and give me a, a, I always thought so. And it gives me a very wide range of personalities to choose from, you know, (laughs) because when you stop and think about some of the folks you run into in real life, you can create some very interesting NPCs with those folks. Oh yeah. Definitely. So, what other questions have you run across, Mitch? Um, I had another one. I should have wrote it down. Uh, hey, Memo on your cell phone is a wonderful app. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> Gee, I wish I'd used it. Anyway. Yeah, you got to remember to use the memory technique. It's weird. Um, yes.
So uh, I do have a uh, friend at work who has never played D&D before, and uh, he's actually helping with um, some of the editing. And it's interesting to me to um, see him trying to work through what's going on because he just get, got basically handed an episode said, okay, go ahead and uh, edit this thing out. And he uh, knows nothing about D&D whatsoever other than it's an, a thing that exists, kind of the same as with uh, uh, Mark. And some of his questions are actually very interesting from a perspective of someone who knows what's going on with it uh because he asks questions like uh do you have to have a uh do you have to have the minis and do you have to have the mats and all of that physical stuff as well as the books and there's two trains of thought on that. Some people say, yes, you absolutely have to. And I think with fourth edition, it's very geared towards that. But then there's also the, um, those people who are able to do theater of the mind a little bit better. And the difference is with a mat and with, uh, minis, you're able to physically see, um, what the setup of a situation is. You can mm -hmm. see how far you are away from everyone. And it's pretty specific. One square equals this many feet, usually five feet, right? right. So you know, okay, that person is 25 feet away from me. Whereas theater of the mind is a little bit more uh, kind of loosey-goosey. And it's a little bit more, the DM has it in their head and they're going to explain it. And honestly, I'm not I'm not good enough to keep track of four different people, um, four different players, and what six to eight different uh, enemies to be able to say, oh, I know exactly where all these people are. My brain doesn't work that way. I'm going to get lost. Uh, I have to have that map personally, but that's just me. And as a DM, <laughs> I I agree with you. Um, as a a DM, you you really have to have that that piece of graph paper down in front of you, showing where all the players are, all the player characters are, and where your monsters are, and you know everything else. Um, from a player character standpoint, though, I never used. Well, I shouldn't say never. I rarely used mats and minis because and I've been fortunate enough to play with a lot of DMs that really could through their description you know give me a good enough uh, idea of what's going on to be able to visualize it uh, but I I have found that, yeah, sitting in that DM chair, the mats and the minis uh, are essential, or at least some way to track the action. Right. 
It's much harder because as a DM, you have so much more you're keeping track of. As a player character, you're keeping track of you and probably, you know, a couple other members of your party and the rest just kind of on the peripherals. Uh, as a DM, you got to know where everybody is and everything in that room is. Yep. Just a DMing tip as far as that goes. Uh, there's little things that have caught me off guard that shouldn't have caught me off guard a couple of times. Um, if you put a chest or a, um, a desk in a room... Expect the party to search it. <laughs> yeah, expect the party to search it. And at one point, yeah, I... Uh, was kind of caught off guard, which it shouldn't have caught me off guard, but it did at the moment because I had had a plan for what was going to be in there previously, but I hadn't written it down in my notes and everything. And they went immediately to the one area of the room that wasn't fully sussed out yet and said, hey, I want to look in this chest. And I'm like, "Uh, wait, what did I have in the chest? Unfortunately, I remembered it, and it all tied in. It worked out the same way that it was going to anyway, but it was something that um, I needed to ensure that I had better notes on each of the areas so I don't have to rely on memory and being caught uh, caught off guard because that could have, I mean, not really gone that bad, but it was something where they needed to see the stuff that was in there, so, you know. You know, it it happens to everybody. Uh, one of the best DMs I ever played with. I've seen him get caught off guard too. And it's like, all right, everybody go take a 10 minute break while I figure this out. <laughs> you know. And it's always, a, from a player standpoint, it's always kind of fun to see that look a split second look of panic in the dm's <laughs> eyes when they realize oh holy crap i am in no way shape or form prepared for this <laughs> what do i do now well and you know in the last episode we played that whole thing was um that was not planned out and it actually should have been i should have thought oh yeah there would be this situation's going to happen, you know, but it, uh, it didn't. I thought you guys would do something totally different, which you didn't. You decide, well, we're going to go over here and see what's, um, what's behind this wall that seems to be, uh, why are these bushes just flat? I don't get it. You know, let's push through that. It's like we're, that. We're video game wall where you just can't go past it and you guys were pushing past it. So it's like, eh, let's play with it. See what we find, you know? Well, you know, it's like the party says, you know, we're going to choose what's behind door number four. And the DM is screaming at the top of his lungs. There is no door number four. Um, <laughs> well, uh, back to character development for a moment. Yeah. Uh, Alan's character, Kragar, uh, should not exist in the form that he exists in had Alan been listening to the rules of the world as laid out by his friendly neighborhood DM. Ah. There's things in his backstory that uh, 
were not supposed to be happening. But again, he pitched me an idea. He had a solid idea for what he wanted. And I decided, you know what? I'll adapt the world in this one case and um, see where it goes and how it plays out. Because I knew in the end it was going to play out the same way either way. But it was, there were things in his backstory that I was wanting to not have in the story at all until later on. But since he uh, um, pitched me a solid idea for what he wanted to do, it was like, you know what, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. I'll play with it and see what happens, you know? And I'm... I'm one that's big for, uh, we were talking about this earlier too, uh, the character backstory thing, right? And a lot of the early stuff, you didn't come up with a character backstory. That's hours and hours of uh, work for something that might get killed off in the first 10 minutes. So, um, But in this case, a fully sussed out backstory is um, actually going to be key for a big part of this uh, first season and actually probably for multiple seasons um, I'm trying to weave everyone's backstory that I can into what's going on there's a right. couple of different things happening that in fact I think uh, Aunt Fia is pretty much at this moment the only one that doesn't have some kind of a backstory hook into this uh world um in a periphery at this point because part of my backstory of course is i'm trying to bring back the metallic dragons bringing back dragons to good alignment yep so that does tie into where we're at right now as part of having a fit with the long-term goals of my character and my and my family. Uh, there are his motivations and what's behind all that. You know, we pretty much fleshed out. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, having a, the backstory get so in depth that you know, with the age of five, he fell off his horse and broke his leg which would explain every once in a while why he limps when it rains. Uh, I, 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 I've played <laughs> with folks that have gone that far down the rabbit hole with mm -hmm. their character development. Uh, and, you know, and they're doing it to set, you know, little nuances with their character or what have you. And, okay, if you want to go that far down the rabbit hole and it makes you happy to do that... <laughs> And it helps you have fun with the game. I hey, okay, cool by me. Uh, I'm less about the in-depth backstory. I like to have you know a good outline that explains why my character is involved in what they're doing. Uh, but I like to develop my character more through through play and interaction mm -hmm. in the game itself right uh and you know i 
I, I think I get more out of it. I have a lot more fun with it that way. Well, and I think having a backstory hook into stories is important so that you feel like you're part of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also keeps you interested in the world if your past keeps coming around and smacking you upside the head. You know, um, uh, someone's backstory came around and dropped him on his head recently, you know. So it's uh, it's uh, one of those things where it can be an interesting way to turn a story as well. But one of the problems with having a solid backstory is I think when people get too far into their backstory, then when they need to change as a character, it's harder for them to change because they feel like, no, this is who I am and this is the way I'm always going to be and I can't change because... And when you try and go to that level, it's like, no, you've got to be adaptable to what's going on in front of you, you know? I I completely agree. I have played with folks that it got so into had such an in-depth backstory that they almost became like the diva actor or actress who says there's no way my character, you know, my character would ever say this or do this. Mm-hmm. And they are, and I agree with you, they are less likely to do more character development through gameplay because they think they've already got their character completely developed and dialed in. Yep. And I think folks that get, that take that mindset actually kind of miss a great opportunity and kind of the whole point, which is uh, we as people, individual folks, out in our everyday lives, develop based on our experiences and our personalities change. Mm-hmm. And our motivations change. And our outlooks change. And it should be, I think, the same way with your character as well. That character should change and grow based on the experiences of the gameplay. Yep. And to, and, and to hold that character static I think, uh, takes away a part of the challenge of the game and part of the fun. Yeah. And honestly, it's kind of, it uh, kind of dishonors the character because it doesn't give them a chance to grow into what they need to actually grow into and become, you know? Mm -hmm. And if you think about it just from a storytelling perspective, uh, you your character has to develop into something different at the end of the story. Otherwise, what was the point of the story? And it doesn't mean that everything has to change. It means that something they need to grow in some way. Otherwise the story is just, you know, it's just a way to collect magic items and loot at that point. Yeah. And what's, what's the point of that? I mean, mm-hmm. magic items and loot are fun, but you got to kind of learn something eventually. Otherwise, it's kind of a rough. Uh, um, yeah, it's a rough story. It's like, uh, well, there was no real threat to the story, and they didn't really learn anything from the story. So, what was the point? You know. Well, exactly. Yeah. 
one of the other questions Mark asked me, and you touched on it earlier, and actually said it verbatim when we were discussing how you determine who wins, is what is, he says, if I step into, if, if I were to start playing, what? how do you figure out what is the end game for your character? And, you know, that kind of, that was a segue off from how do we determine who wins? Because after that question, he, he asked about the end game thing. Uh, you know, and I, I, I told him, I said, you know, that depends on your character and kind of the goals you set for that character. I, I said, uh, you might, depending upon the character is also going to help you decide which goals you want to set because a goal for a fighter class might not be the right goal if you're playing a spellcaster of some sort. Mm -hmm. But, you know, part of what your what is your end game? That is that that is mostly all driven by the character you develop. And uh, I, you know, I I played with folks whose end game they were playing for for that particular character actually diverged away from the party, and he did that on purpose already had this set up with the DM at the beginning of the, of the campaign. Kind of just as a little side thing to see if the party would notice what the party would do, uh, how it would affect the campaign. And it actually became kind of an interesting little sidebar to the whole thing. Uh, what, what do you think of that question? How, how would you have answered it? One thing that came to mind is, yeah, it's going to depend a lot on what your goals are, but then sometimes it's totally random stuff that you have no way of foreseeing, right? Um, what I was just thinking about was there's a podcast I listened to, um, Years ago, uh, it was another D&D podcast. I think it was Grand Strand Gamers. They had a character who was, I think it was like a ranger or maybe a druid, something like that. Something very uh, um, nature-based. And he, uh, through a series of events, that player, or that, uh, that player couldn't come to a uh, couple of recordings. And so they just went on with the world and, hey, he's off doing whatever. He's just not here, right? And while he was away, they had discovered a rock, a giant bird, and they decided to, I think originally they were going to kill the rock. They were going after its eggs, something like, something along those lines. And, uh... And I'm not giving anything away at this point because last time I checked, the uh, podcast actually had been taken down and everything. They finally, they'd stopped playing and I don't think you can even get to it anymore. But the storyline basically was, you know, these two episodes while this guy was out and couldn't make it, um, they go get this rock and 
they end up capturing the rock, bringing it back into town, building a encampment around it, or a um, prison, basically, around it to where it can't move. And uh, then they decide they're going to make it um, sentient. All right. For it's a whole story thing, right? And it went in a totally different direction that this guy had no clue. They get back and they're making it sentient. The problem is when they roll to find out how smart this thing is, it rolls like an eight, right? So now you've got a unintelligent sentient animal that's now really irritated. And so they do some stuff, they make it more intelligent, and that goes to the opposite end to where now it went from being really unintelligent to being like super intelligent and it learns about lying and all of this and hey you guys lied to me so it basically tells them that what they want to hear so that they can uh um it gets what it wants and it's like no you lied to me so i can lie to you kind of thing right mm-hmm. well the other the thing is whenever this player comes back his character is all about protecting animals and all of this. So it's like, he's going, what are you guys doing? And I think at the point he came back, they were like beating it unconscious on a regular basis to keep it from uh, destroying the building while they were trying to figure out what to do with it and all of this stuff. I mean, it's like horrible, right? I, as, as a step in here, um, what, alignments were these guys playing this i don't remember it was out of uh um they were it wasn't um uh dnd it was pathfinder but yeah I, there's a lot of things here that were like really questionable and he said yeah. you can't do that that's not right you know so he basically befriends this rock and the rock is going to go back and try and figure out how to exist with its, um, with its own kind. Now that it's intelligent, because it doesn't want to be around the people. It's like, no, you people are, you people are yeah. crazy and dangerous. You know, I want to be away from you. These guys are going to set off a rock revolution, and they're going to come and peck all our eyes out. You know. Well, and the it's thing is, cool. this character who he wasn't a part of the whole decision process here. So something he had no control over when that rock's ready to leave, he walks away from the story along with the rock to go uh, teach it how to exist in a sentient world. Right. And it was one of those end stories of a arc that I was like, okay, that really took a, really negative turn and it took a, a dark turn that's like you don't you don't treat animals like that even in D knock it off uh, i agreed completely his uh his reaction to that was you can't do that and then it was also he had been there for the entire story up till that point i mean he was one of them that hadn't been killed off and replaced you know with the uh, a new character. So, I mean, he was there from the beginning of this and he walked away from it because that's what his character would do. So sometimes mm-hmm. that end game is something that happens within a story that is not intentional by any one person. Them going after that rock egg was not 
a way of them saying, oh, let's get rid of that character. Because no right. one would have known that was going to be the outcome at and, the beginning of that uh, little story arc there, you know. And, and kudos to the player character for saying, you know, the party has moved in such a direction to where, you know, if I'm playing my character the way I should, Billy Bob's not going to put up with this crap. And mm -hmm. he's out. Uh, and, and that can be that can be hard to do. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've seen folks kind of bite their tongue and go against character in order to continue to play when it should have been the other way around. Yeah. They, they should have said, you know, sayonara. Uh, well, and I think in this case, I don't think any one person was intending for the storyline to take the turn that it took. It was just right. this weird turn of events that happened one after another after another. And you listen to about three episodes and all of a sudden they're beating a rock unconscious every time it wakes up and goes nuts because it wants out of the building. It's used to being outside. And then it's like, wow, this took a really weird turn now one thing i've got to say it sounds like i'm kind of beating up on that story and on that podcast i'm not because the storyline was actually really good i enjoyed it it was something unique and different and there's actually uh one or two points out of that storyline that i've picked up on and said oh that's a cool idea so i'm going to use that in something in the future well guess what we're in the future now. So, I mean, it's like, it's a good story overall that took a weird, dark turn, and it's like, wow, why did that have to happen that way? And all of a sudden, this character that you've come to know and love over, I think this is like 80 episodes in, something like this, you know? I mean, it's, you've been with this character for a long time, all of a sudden, it's just gone. And right. It's, it uh, makes that character... And very um, unsatisfying. Actually, to me, even though I didn't want to see him go, I was satisfied with it from the aspect of it's what that character should have done. He should have said, "No, I'm out of here. This isn't cool," you know. No, and I and I agree, but I think I I meant unsatisfying in terms of how the campaign in general wrapped up. Oh, I yeah. would, you know after hearing you explain the situation, yes, I'm very satisfied with the way that particular player handled the situation mm -hmm. handled it perfectly. But I also think it's a very good example. And yeah, you, I didn't take it that you were beating up on this podcast at all, but bringing forth that here's an example of what can happen when things take an unexpected and unplanned for term mm -hmm. turn, excuse me. Uh, from a D and D aspect, if I'm the DM sitting there and I see a party degrade almost the way I, I understand you to say this one did, because it sounds like that whole beating of the bird was kind of out of character for the party itself. Kind of. Which is why you found it surprising and in in some small level disturbing. Uh, not uh, a small level. Even I was going, oh, this is 
it's one of those moments where you kind of go, is this the direction this story is taking? Because I don't know if I want to continue with it, you know? And I was being understated and facetious. Okay. I think from from someone uh, in the DM role in that situation, uh, I would have had some some penalties for those players, especially ones whose class is tied to their alignment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, clerics, paladins, uh, that sort of thing. I, I, I would have given them some severe consequences for stepping over a line like that. Yeah. Uh, when, it, when it's clearly a violation of, of, who you are as a person and especially if it's a violation of the tenets of the deity that is uh supposedly guiding your life yeah in 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 gameplay uh because it really steps more outside of the role of you know the the aspect of gameplay and playing the character you've developed to a free-for-all doing what you feel like which okay if you want to play chaotic evil then yeah okay you do what you feel like uh but you you gotta at least to my mind have have an entire party and campaign based in that direction which just really isn't up my alley yeah yeah not, well not that's my why thing. when i set this up i made sure to be very clear to everybody you know, this is a um, good party. Um, and I even said if someone wants to be neutral, there kind of needs to be a reason for it. Or if someone wants to be evil, they better have a really good reasoning behind it. And there kind of needs to be a redemption arc that they're looking for. And that's mainly because I don't want that especially not in the first uh, ongoing game that I play. I don't want that kind of a vibe in that um, in my first game that I'm DMing. And honestly, something that I'm putting out into the world and we're all putting out into the world, uh, I want it to be something that has more of a positive feel so that whenever people listen to it each week, hopefully they feel pretty good about hey i like these characters i like where this is going it's not um not that every character out there needs to be warm and fuzzy but you know there's something to be said for not having uh and this is nothing against dexter because i like the show dexter but there's a reason that we don't have too many dexter characters out there that are the main character for an ongoing uh, series of TV or whatever, right? Because you've got to explain Uh, too much. Oh, this is why you have to like this guy. He's okay. And it's like, well, no, not really. No, he's not. He's a serial killer. Yeah. I I said, no, he's not. He's he's a serial killer. And I I agree with you. I can only take so much anti-hero. Yeah. You know, but... I grew up in, you know, 
with all the Westerns and, you know, the, all, all the good guys wore the white hats and all the bad guys wore the black hats. And, you know, you always wanted the good guys to win. So I, I'm not really into the whole anti-hero thing. Unless, like you said, there's a reason for that story arc. I mm-hmm. mean, okay, I, I can kind of understand just, just to go out into the comic book world here. Uh, the motivations of, say, like the Punisher. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I really wouldn't necessarily call his character evil. Uh, but having that that type of story arc where you know he does a lot of things with good intentions that most folks would necessarily consider bad. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I I get that, but to play a character whose story arc uh, story arc is just to be evil and see how much damage they can do to society is is not one I've ever been inclined to play, nor be involved in games where that kind of player is is present. Exactly. Unless it's as as an NPC run by the DM, and then usually they're an opponent or someone he has thrown in there to see if the party will go after them. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's also the uh, conversation that we had, I think, a couple of times before the uh, podcast started about the whole murder hobo thing that a lot of uh, gaming groups will tend to lean towards, you know, hey, let's murder that NPC immediately because, you know, they may have something on them or whatever it is, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> this is a uh, podcast I want to put out there into the world, and I want something positive. I don't want that negative, just um, chaotic, uh, stupid vibe going on, you know. I want... and. If people are wanting to play that kind of a game, hey, go go play that game. That's cool. You know, it's not for me. I'm right. trying to get more into positive media, that kind of thing. And while this story actually has some kind of dark elements to it, it's overall meant to be a positive uh, story. And, um, you know, I very blatantly told you guys that murder hoboing would not be tolerated in my game. Uh, you guys are the good guys. You're not the, you're not punks, you know, you're not the jerks out there who are doing that stupid kind of stuff. Right. I agree with you on the whole murder hobo thing. I have played, I shouldn't say I played, I have DM'd, where I have had folks decide to go the murder hobo route Mm -hmm. at which point. And, and sometimes it's what drives that is the pressure of being a lower level and you want to advance so you can start getting to the good stuff. Yep. So you turn into, you know, basically the, uh, traveling highway man, and you're knocking over everybody you can come across in the hopes of amassing, you know, money and magic. Mm-hmm. And usually the way I 
have cured a party of moving in that direction is to create an NPC for them to attempt a mug that just totally stomps them. And at which point they get the message. You know, uh, I've already had, I've got the whole scenario planned out. So yes, it's, it, my plan is pretty much if you guys ever do that, yeah, that's pretty much what's going to happen to you is you're going to meet someone who um, hands you all your hats and says, have a good day. You know? Right. Exactly. And, you know, sometimes a party needs that little little DM divine pimp slap. Mm-hmm. Uh I think a while back when we were first starting about talking about putting all this together uh, and we were talking about DM techniques, I had mentioned to you that one that I use, especially with uh, characters and classes who were very alignment driven, uh, that when they started to get outside of alignment, uh, that some consequence should be given that character mm-hmm. and using a doubling die to do that from backgammon. So I, you could take anywhere, you know, if you stepped out far enough outside of alignment to warrant a div- what came to be known as the divine pimp slap, uh, that you, uh, you know, you could take two points of damage from a divine lightning bolt up to 64. And if you're only third level, you probably want to avoid that. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for our feedback episode. I appreciate everyone who did send in uh, questions or comments. We've gotten them from a number of people, so we didn't call most people out directly and say, hey, thanks, Bob, for sending this in. We are getting your guys' feedback. We want you guys to ask any questions that you have. If you have game-related questions, if you have uh, role-play questions, um, DM questions. I mean, I'm a new DM, relatively, so I'll give you as much help as I can. We got John. Tim has done a lot of it. Unfortunately, he couldn't be here today. You know, we've got some very experienced people, but also Casey and Alan are going to be able to help you from a newer perspective player perspective of uh, what their experience is sitting at a table with some more experienced players. So, I mean, if you guys uh, have any questions, feel free to get in touch with us. Uh, We really want to hear from you. Yes, we do. We love those questions. Keep them coming in. So, easiest way to get a hold of us is you can send an email to Paper Dragons Podcast at gmail.com. Come visit us on Facebook. We are Paper Dragons Podcast. We're also Paper Dragons Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. So it's pretty easy to find us. Stop in, say hi. Let us know if you have any uh, questions or thoughts, ideas, comments. You know, we, we want to hear from you guys. We're doing this so that we can have fun playing D&D and kind of relive some of the stuff that we enjoy about it. But also we want to make sure that we're putting out something that you guys are enjoying and that hopefully helps you in your gameplay. Because what I've 
noticed for myself is a lot of my experience is the games that I've listened to uh, on podcasts. And what I enjoy about it is wherever they kind of explain some of this stuff and wherever they give their thoughts behind all of the different concepts of it. There's so many great podcasts out there to listen to that'll help with that kind of thing. So uh, I'm hoping that we're one of them for you guys. So definitely get a hold of us if you have any questions. All right, Mitch, it was fun as always. Yeah. Thanks for uh, spending your New Year's with me. I appreciate that. Hey, not a problem. And for you NCAA fans out there, go Tigers. Go sports, go. <laughs> uh, win that point. Yes, I think that's how that goes. All right. Uh, sort of, kind of. Yeah. All right. Thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.